Well, good evening. It's good to be here. I have preached here before, but it was Lefevre Baptist Church, and that was a long time ago. So it's nice to be back, and it's nice to see what God's doing here. It's been great to track the journey with Ben um, over the last few years, and uh, uh, where, if I can, uh, so part of my job is church planting and doing the other. I have another half of my job. I work for. Um, Baptist World Aid, and part of that means I'm part of the um, ministry team uh, at Unley. And if I can just whack my ministry team hat on for a second, just because you know Mike likes me to do that when I go around the place. Um, so we're really excited about what God's doing down here. It's been great. It's been a dream. I grew up. Um, my mum was born across the road from Albert and Oval. Uh, we're not born across the road. My mum was born at Lefevre Hospital that doesn't exist anymore. Um, it's a nursing home, it isn't a retirement village or something now, yeah. So my mum was born there and grew up across the road from Albert and Nobles and um, so the port has been in my blood for a very long time and uh, it's been on my heart for a really long time so it's great to see that God is doing stuff here. So we're really encouraged, um, I am and our ministry team are uh, encouraged by what God is up to. So it's really nice to be able to share with you today. I, um, if I If I start coughing and sneezing, it's just because I've just come back from China, and uh, no. no, 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 you see all the guys in the front row just jump about six feet, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, uh, I've just come back from Cambodia, um, there was this Chinese guy, I, I was in Phnom Penh airport just, just a week ago, and there was this guy who, um, a little Chinese man who was probably in his 70s, who's shuffling along with one of those wheelie cases, and he stops, and he's got a mask on. Everyone's wearing masks. He, he pulls his mask down, goes, and then coughs everywhere, and then puts his mask back on, and then just keeps walking. <clears throat> I thought, well, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die. That's uh, <laughs> how it is. Um, but I was, I was in Cambodia, and... Uh, which was a great time. The thing about being in Cambodia at this time of the year that was really difficult for me was that I missed the whole first week of the fringe. And I'm a massive fringe head. I love, I'll go to the fringe as often as I can. I've been to three shows since I've been back this week, um, including one last night. Vicky and I went and saw Frank Woodley last night um, in the Garden of Unearthly Delights. And it was a great show. And um, Frank's one of those, I've seen him live before, he's one of those comedians who is a long-term long -term storyteller. And so his show starts off sort of a bit slow and there's a few laughs and he builds and he builds and he builds and he builds and he builds. And, he builds. and by the end of it, you're laughing hilariously. You're not quite sure how you got there, but, um, but it, it builds up to that. And just as he was getting going, about 20 minutes into the show last night, um, a woman stands up. And the rule is if you're in the first few rows of a comedy show, don't ever stand up when the comedian's mid-stream because he suddenly his eyes just went... And he started just paying her out. And then he realised that she actually didn't look very well. And then she collapsed and fainted and fell on the ground. Interrupted the whole show. Interrupted everything. not fun. She was okay. She got, eventually, after a few minutes, she got up and went outside. She was pregnant. She was overheated in a tent that was held 300 people and she just decided that the best way to deal with that would be to collapse on the floor. And so she did. Um, but interruptions are awful. 
I, I'm not someone who likes interruptions. I'm, I, I have a personality type that likes new things all the time, right? Shiny new things. And so uh, I can easily be distracted. I can uh, start doing one thing and, and uh, get distracted and end up finding myself doing other things. And I think, oh, there was that other thing I was supposed to do um, that usually involves housework. And so uh, you can talk to Vicky about that. Um, but... But I hate interruptions. When I'm actually in the swing of things, I hate interruptions. Are you like that? Are you a, are you a, if I've got my head in doing something, I just need to get it done? How many people are those people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you've got, you've got your diary planned out. You get up in the morning, you've got your to-do list for the day, and you just have to get through it. You get to the end of the day, and you feel like you've achieved something if you've ticked off everything on your list. I'm not that sort of person, but I do hate interruptions. And... Uh, when, I, when I look at Jesus, I see that most of the really interesting stuff in his life happened as interruptions. Most of the stuff that, um, uh, that happened, most of the, not the big things, but the, but the things that grabbed uh, people's attention were often the interruptions. They weren't, you know, Jesus was walking along and something happened. Jesus was going here and this happened. And I, I want us to look tonight at probably the most famous one of those, and you'd know this story. If you've been around church for, for any length of time, you'll know this story. So hopefully the story is not new, but let's just hang out in it a bit and see. I've got to wear these things now to read the words on the page. My, I'm getting old, and um, the older I get, the shorter my arms get. And I have to stand further and further away from the text, but this helps me stand a little bit closer. Um, so, if you've got Bibles and you want to follow along, you're welcome to. We're going to have a look at Luke chapter 8. Um, if you don't have Bibles and don't want to follow along, that's fine. If you do have a Bible and don't want to follow along, that's also fine. If you don't have a Bible and do want to follow along, find someone that's got a Bible and sit next to them and follow along. Has that covered all the... Ba- has that covered everything? Yeah, okay, we're cool. All right, Luke chapter 8 and verse 40. On the other side of the lake, crowds welcomed Jesus because they'd been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she, she touched the fringe of his robe Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it, and Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could no longer stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader in the synagogue. He told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith and she'll be healed. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing. But he said, stop the weeping. She isn't dead. 
she's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him because they knew she had died. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, My child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned and she immediately stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what had happened. Let's just pray for a minute. So Jesus, we thank you that you are here. That your presence is with us. You promise never to leave us or forsake us. And we thank you that we have the freedom to come tonight and to gather around in worship and to gather around your word. We think of all those people in many places around the world today who meet in secret, in basements and caves and hidden rooms, in the middle of forests, in fear of their life, Lord, and we ask you to strengthen them. And you are, we ask, Lord, that you help us not to ever take our freedom for granted. So, Lord, let us use this time wisely. Let us have ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to us. Holy Spirit, speak. Let us know the heart of the Father today. Amen. So, it's really interesting, isn't it? There's this, there's this story within a story, and Luke does that deliberately, uh, it probably, you know, not because it didn't happen that way, but Luke likes wrapping things up and, and putting things in context for us. So Jesus has been in a really busy season. This is early in his ministry, probably in the first six or 12 months of his ministry, and he's starting to get really well known. And crowds are starting to follow him everywhere. And he's starting to have to, to come up with plans of how to, uh, how to deal with the, the growing crowds. He's having to, to go from place to place and... Uh, everywhere he goes, it seems that word about him coming has already got there first. And so uh, he often has to, at the end of a day when he's tired and exhausted, stop and, and minister to more people, preach to more people, heal more people, cast demons out of more people. There's lots of stuff that Jesus is doing. If you look through chapter 8, if you just look through just that chapter, there's all these things that Jesus has been doing. And he gets, uh, gets to this location where he is and suddenly another thing. Just stop for a minute and think about how you cope with busyness. You know, there's this whole, we're in a world now where we're told about self-care. We should be looking after ourselves all the time. Make sure you get rest. It's just true. Make sure you sleep. That's helpful. But Jesus didn't seem to, uh, Jesus gave up sleep to go and pray. Jesus seemed to get his strength from somewhere else, right? And so Jesus would make time to go and pray. Jesus would make time to be with his father. But when he was with people, it seemed that he just ministered to whoever was in front of him. And so Jesus turns up. This guy from the synagogue says, you need to come. Like, come. My daughter is dying. You are her, you are her only hope. My 12-year-old daughter. It's really interesting, you know, 12-year-old daughter and a woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years. Those two things are in the same story. Sort of link it together. 
probably means something. I don't know what it is, but it probably does mean something. And so Jesus immediately starts to go with Jairus, which is sort of the right thing to do because Jairus is like the respectable synagogue leader in the town, right? You know, if Jesus turned up uh, in Adelaide and and, uh, there was a a well-known pastor whose daughter was sick, then he should get first dibs on Jesus, right? That's fair. Yes, yes. Yeah, the, pa- the pastor's wives especially say that. That's... But culturally, it's the appropriate thing to do for Jesus to go with the synagogue leader. And he's doing that, and in the midst of that, he has this encounter with a woman. A woman who is an outcast. A woman who actually isn't allowed to be where Jesus is. Because of her bleeding condition, whatever that is, we don't really know what that is, but because of this 12 years of non-stop bleeding, she can't be around. She's totally ritually unclean. She has to stay on the outskirts. But it's a woman who is so desperate, so desperate for something to change. She's tried everything, so she's spent all her money. She, she probably has a husband. She probably has children. But she can't be with them. She can't be in the same house as them. She has to live outside of the city. She has to make a loud noise whenever she comes near anyone so that everyone else can steer clear of her. And she probably crawls to stay away from prying eyes but somehow she comes through the crowd and comes up behind Jesus and reaches out and just touches his cloak and Jesus stops and what does Jesus say who touched me and there's deathly silence oh it wasn't me And the disciples, because the disciples are really smart. They understand how all, everything works and they've got it all together. They, um, they, well, Jesus, look, we're in a big crowd, you know, and, and everyone, everyone, there's people touching you all the time. Could have been any one of us. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Someone deliberately touched me. Someone deliberately reached out and touched me. And I, and I know that because I felt healing power go out of me. Now, it took me a, I've wrestled with this passage for a long time. It took me a long time to realize Jesus didn't say, I know someone touched me because I felt them tug my coat. And somehow in my head, that's how I always pictured it, right? Someone comes out and grabs Jesus' coat as he's walking past, and he feels that, and he turns around and says, who touched me? But it wasn't because someone grabbed his coat, it's because some power left him. And we know that that was effective because the woman was instantly healed. The bleeding stopped immediately. So she knows she's healed. She knows something is different. Jesus knows something that's happened. So why on earth does he have to drag her up in front of everyone? Sorry? I reckon... To 
to let people know about healing power. I reckon that's part of it, but I reckon there's something else going on here that we don't understand because we read this through Western eyes. We read this through, through Western... In the West, we have this, um, this way of seeing everything that happens in the world in terms of a, a justice mindset, right? If someone does something wrong, they should be punished. They should do their time. And if someone, you know, if someone is caught and punished and does their time and goes to jail or pays the fine or whatever, then technically under the law, they've got a clean sheet, right? It's done, dealt with, over. In Jesus' culture, as in like in many Asian cultures, and as I've really especially been learning from uh, my friends in Aboriginal culture, it's a different thing. They have, their culture is based around this idea of honour and shame. And there's something going on here that if we see it through an honour-shame lens, it means a whole lot different stuff than we would normally look at it. See, this woman, because of her bleeding and because of being an outcast, is totally shamed in her society. Totally shamed. We don't even know why... Uh, it didn't even matter why she had this bleeding issue, she would have been shamed. There would be community shame because of it, but also just personal shame, right? I can't go anywhere. I'm leaking blood everywhere I go. And everyone knows. Everyone knows who I am. Everyone knows that there's something wrong with me. And there's this amazing line that I want to get right, so I'll use these again. Jesus says, Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. Verse 47, When the woman realised that she could not stay hidden any longer. When the woman realised that she could not stay hidden any longer. Jesus is about to take this woman who is still hiding because of her shame. She's not hiding because she's been healed. She's hiding because of her shame. Jesus is about to take this woman and stand her up in front of her whole community. And restore her. Not just heal her, but restore her back into her community. He's giving her her honour back. This is so much deeper than I uh, just healed her and stopped the bleeding. Because if Jesus just heals her, the bleeding stops, she goes away... The next day, what does she do? Where does she live? Does she go back to where she's living before, where she was living? Does she go home to her kids or her husband or her family, wherever? What does she do? She has no place in that community. Jesus is really good at doing this. You know the story of Lazarus, you know where Jesus um, turns up uh, four days after Lazarus is dead. He turns up. And he stands at the tomb and he says, Lazarus, come out. 
and there's this shuffling noise and Lazarus comes out and says he's still wrapped up in all his grave clothes. So he's come back to life. He's been dead, seriously dead. You know, if you're dead four days, you're dead, dead, right? And, you know, like, you know, I can be, you know, dead an hour and come back to life, sure, but dead four days. And with that dead, dead also comes like, the smell, smell. Now, this isn't pleasant. And Lazarus comes out of the tomb, still all wrapped up in the grave clothes. And what does Jesus do? Can you remember what Jesus does? Again, it's one of those verses we read over because we're really excited that Jesus has uh, brought Lazarus back to life. Jesus turns to the crowd and says, you unwrap him. You unwrap him. Jesus brings the community into the miracle. Jesus brings the community into the healing. I've done this bit, you have to do the rest. And you know, let me, let me tell you, when people get healed, when people get, especially people who have who've, uh, been dealing with brokenness, people who have been dealing with shame, people who have been dealing as an outcast, when God restores them and saves them and heals them, you know that, Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. The word, the Greek word is sozo. It means like completely done. Everything's done. I'm saved. I'm healed. I'm set free. All, all in one thing. When Jesus does that, the community still has a responsibility. And sometimes that's the hardest step. I, uh, I lived in Wyala for 13 years. And uh, it's one of those, Wales is one of those places where um, uh, you can, if you ever, there's this great saying, if you ever feel like uh, you don't know what you're doing, just ask someone else because they'll always know what you're doing, right? Everyone knows what everyone else is doing. You can, you can never get confused because just ask someone else and they'll tell you what you're up to. Well, is a place where everyone knows everyone. We had a, we had a guy, um, we used to do combined church things, big cross, citywide combined church things. And I, it was on one of my last ones there. We had this big combined church worship night. And uh, there's all these people there. And there's a guy up the back, he's this big guy with a bald head and tats everywhere and earrings. And um, yeah, he, was, he was sitting there and he'd been coming along, he'd been getting involved in the Salvation Army Church for a number of weeks and, and God was really doing something in his life and he came along to this combined worship thing. One of our guys from our church walks in, he comes up to me and goes, what's he doing here? Said, what do you mean? I, I, did, I've, I've met him, said hello, he said, what's he doing here? I said, oh, he came with the Salvos guys. He goes, do you know who he is? Now my friend who came in was a copper and... Um, uh, you know, the police know everyone in town and he certainly knew this guy. This guy had a reputation. And he said, I'm just going to stay at the back and keep an eye on him to make sure he doesn't do anything, as coppers want to do. So, you know, for the whole night, his wife and kids are down the front worshipping away and, and he's standing at the back just keeping an eye to make sure. And this guy, during the worship, he's just like, not, not the copper, the... Uh, this other guy, the big, bold, tattooed guy, he's got tears just streaming down his face. And obviously, something's going on with him and God. And it was going to take a bit more convincing of my police friend that this was God doing something genuine. 
So often God can work and we find it difficult to welcome people in. So often God can perform some amazing miracle in someone's life and we find it difficult to unwrap them. And yet, restoration and healing is not complete until it's done as part of community. Jesus was on about this all the time. Jesus was always all about people loving each other. We know that, right? You know, Jesus said that sort of stuff over and over again. But not just, not just in theory and not just giving mental assent to, you know. You know it's, not like, it's not like parents, right? You, you love your kids and you have to, right? It's in the rules. You, you have to love your kids. But there are times when you think, oh, God. Maybe, maybe that's just me and my kids. Or Ben and his kids. <laughs> I don't know. No, no, your kids are perfect. You love your kids anyway. Yes, okay. So it is just me. Ignore that. Um, There is something that happens when a community welcomes people in. There is something different that happens. And we don't get it because uh, we're Westerners and we don't understand it very often. But let me tell you, if you're a part of another culture... Uh, being welcomed into the community means a whole lot of things. When I was in Cambodia, uh, we visited a whole heap of different development projects and uh, we were welcomed into each of those villages and the welcoming into the village took longer than looking at the project, let me tell you. People would come and meet us and then we'd have to sit around. We'd all sit, there was eight of us plus a couple of people that worked in our partner on the ground and, and then the people from the village and we'd all sit around in this big circle and everyone would have to go around and introduce themselves, say their name, you tell a little bit about it, like had to, you know, and we did this four times a day. Like, yeah, okay, hi, I'm Steve, I'm from Australia, you know, like it. Um, but welcoming and inviting people in is a significant cultural thing. We just, we just throw the door open, put a sign up, and if people turn up, they turn up. But Jesus does this amazing thing to this woman who would be racked with shame. Thankfully, we're in Australia, so no one has to deal with shame issues here in Australia. Okay? It doesn't happen. Um, There's nothing to be ashamed about. We're all just good, fine, upstanding citizens. What is it? What is it that deep down in you makes you think, I really hope no one else ever finds out about that? And, and look, men and women are probably equal in, in many respects, but I, my experience is that, uh, especially in our culture, women carry that a whole lot more. There's just things that happen to women that should never, ever happen to women uh, in our society, and they carry shame far more than... Uh, they, they, they're far more aware of the shame than men are, I think, is probably actually what goes on. But women carry it a whole lot more. And so it's pertinent that Jesus over and over again in his interactions with women, were dealing with shame. The woman at the well, the same thing. The woman caught in adultery, the same thing. Every, every woman that Jesus interacts with, not only does he tell her she's healed or she's saved, but he restores her. This is the ministry of the gospel. This is what we're called to do. Jesus does the saving, right? We can't save people. Jesus does the healing. We can't do that. Jesus does the, the miraculous stuff and then asks us to step in and do the rest. This is our call. This is who we are as God's people. 
We are the people who are meant to welcome and through love and care and through unwrapping. (laughs) Restore people fully. If there is no community, there's no full healing. And so Jesus leaves this woman and off he goes and then Jairus' daughter is dead. And he heals her. (laughs) And then he says, don't tell anyone what I'm up to. That always fascinates me. Don't tell anyone what I'm up to. Do you know why that is? Well, there's lots of reasons. There's, lots of people, there's books written on it. I, I don't know. I really... No, probably. There's this, there's this idea that in Mark's gospel, he does it over and over. Mark uses it as a tool over and over again. Jesus says, shh, don't tell anyone, shh, don't tell anyone. He calls it the, the messianic secret. That's what uh, theologians call it. That, G, that Jesus has got this secret that he doesn't want all the miracles to get in the way of him being able to preach. I don't think that's true. That's what I was taught in Bible college, but I don't think that's true. I think it just shows us that, you know, this whole story of Jesus, this three years of Jesus that we have of him on earth, um, that Jesus was actually calling the shots all the time. That Jesus didn't get swept along by something. Jesus didn't get caught up in something that was out of his, uh, you know, he, he didn't get, oh, oh, suddenly I'm going to be killed. How did that happen? Never got to that. Jesus was calling the shots all the way along. That Jesus understood the timing of what was going on and Jesus was. Jesus would provoke where he needed to provoke and he'd withdraw where he needed to withdraw. That Jesus was actually calling the shots. But here's what I want to say tonight. There comes a time where all of us need to reach out and touch Jesus. There comes a time when people who live on the peninsula, people who live in this area, need to reach out and touch Jesus. And if the people need to reach out and touch the body of Jesus, where would they go? Who's the body of Christ? What does Paul say? Paul says, we are the body of Christ. So if people want to reach out and touch Jesus, people on the peninsula want to reach out and touch Jesus, guess where they're going to be coming and reaching out to touch? Poor church. You are the body of Christ. And when they reach out, what are they going to find? When people who come who are full of shame, full of guilt, full of sickness, full of brokenness, guess what? This is who we are. This is our call. We are called to be the body of Christ wherever we go. And if people want to reach out and touch Jesus, then the first impression probably they're going to get of that is us. 
And the community they're going to get that unwrap them is this community. And so I want to encourage you to keep unwrapping people. You know, we're really good as Australians as hiding who we really are. Yeah? We're really good at it. And, you know, I, I, I chat with people who I've known for years and years and years and they suddenly say something else. Like, I never knew that about you. There's always more layers to unwrap. An authentic, genuine Christian community is always about helping people become more like Jesus. So there we are. Who are we going to unwrap? Who's God placing in front of you that needs to be welcomed in? But then I want to say this. I just get the feeling that there are a number of people here who right now really just need to reach out and touch Jesus for something. (laughs) You need Jesus to do something. You need Jesus to deal with the brokenness. So I just want us just to stop for a second. And I don't want to make a big deal of it. We're not going to, you know, invite you to come and stand down the front and do that sort of stuff. But I am going to do this. Yeah, let's play some music. That's cool. If you today, if you today really need to reach out and touch Jesus, you need something from him today. I'm just going to ask you, wherever you're sitting, just to stand. I know that's, you know, sometimes that can be embarrassing. And, but maybe, maybe this is one of those times when you can no longer stay hidden. passage says there were this woman who who Jesus knew had touched her because power had gone out from him Jesus said who deliberately touched me a woman who had nothing left she'd tried all the doctors and all the medicines and she'd spent all of her money and she'd done everything she could All she had left was Jesus. Particularly want to say if there's there's stuff in your life, if there's stuff hanging over your life that's to do with shame. I especially think the Lord wants to just deal with that in some degree tonight. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. We invite you just to release your power, release your anointing, release your presence amongst us tonight.
Lord, as these people reach out to you, would you touch them? Would your healing power flow into them? Would you deal with brokenness? Would you deal with sickness? Would you deal with disease? Would you deal with shame tonight, Lord? Feel them, Lord.